Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Evolving Engineering Construction Brands podcast with your host, Matthew Winkelstein. Today, I'm honored to be joined by Anna Yates. Anna, welcome. Hi, Matthew. Thanks for having me here. So Anna has a super fascinating job working for the U.S. Water Alliance. She has a fantastic story about how she got into communications, how her passion just about water generally drove her to the industry. So in the beginning, we're going to talk a little bit about what her role is like, what got her interested in communications, what's the U.S. Water Alliance, what's its mission. And then we're going to get into some more tactical things about the way that Anna and U.S. Water Alliance has utilized social media to get out their impactful message. Very flattered that you think so highly of the U.S. Water Alliance. And I currently serve as a communications manager there. So I've been doing communications with the organization in some capacity for about two and a half years now, which is wild to say. (laughs) If I remember correctly, you were in communications and then you were interested in water and then this opportunity came up in a line. Can you Take us back a little bit to what got you interested in communications? What got you interested in those converge? Yeah, yeah, definitely. On the communications front, I almost feel like I just fell into this work, which I feel like a lot of people say, but I think my pathway there is a little bit unique. I thought about pursuing water work for a while once I moved to New Orleans for college. And a lot of that was just because water is so in your face here. It is in many parts of the world, but we are a city that's literally made of its waterways. And also we have very intense weather events. So flooding is very prevalent. We constantly have things like oil water advisories. And it was just a really unique experience. And I wanted to somehow get involved in that. So I feel like throughout the first few years, I did a really good job at finding out things I wasn't good at, but being in the correct space. So I worked with an ecologist doing water level research data with the National Park Service. And that was fascinating, but it was very much not my area of expertise. It was fun, though. We would go out and go bushwhacking in the swamps and bayous and be physically collecting this data. And then I also worked at this Institute on Water Resources Law, and we were helping compile a comprehensive water code for the state of Louisiana. And that was also really fascinating and really important work. But It just turned out that was also not where I excelled. And then during my final year in school, I landed a job at this really small nonprofit, completely unrelated to water. And the support they needed was largely in communications. So I ended up just filling that role there. And that title was just created for my position. And then I ended up staying on and working with them on and off for a few years. And even though I definitely felt like my work had been valued in my previous water-related roles. This was the first time I really felt like I was making good impact. I've always loved writing and editing, and I found that working with a nonprofit, it was just a really great way to be able to share this amazing work that mission-driven organizations are doing and just helping improve existing systems and raising awareness for their cause. I'm definitely not big on trying to sugarcoat the hard realities that we're seeing every day, but especially just with so much of what we read being pretty grim on a daily basis, just I like to be able to show that there is great work being done and we can keep moving forward thanks to organizations like these. And 
I'm also someone, I think just this is a way that I think I'm always thinking about deliverables, like what can be made tangible from this work? I like to be part of early brainstorming conversations, but I do always find myself jumping to questions like, okay, how do we convey this work to our audience and what can be produced from these efforts? And I also just also like making the work accessible to a wide audience. So I feel like a lot of the work that organizations do can get pretty in the weeds, obviously, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I want people to actually read what we're putting out and want to read what we're putting out and feel drawn just to the organization in that way. And I've definitely found that with the Alliance. It was interesting when I first started here, I read a lot of the reports that we had put out. And to me, it felt like I was reading just the most interesting stuff for my favorite course when I was back in school. And I think that's the way it should be. Fascinating. So much there. I want to revisit. You felt like you were reading stuff for the most interesting course we in the marketing. First, I want to add a little more context to U.S. Water Lives and your story. But it's so fascinating because it sounds like you found this passion. You were always interested in water and then you started to study different subjects around it. And then you end up in the nonprofit space and you found a love for nonprofits in communication in that same role. And then so this opportunity comes up with U.S. Water Alliance. What is U.S. Water Alliance? What's their mission and what attracted you to that role? Yeah. So the U.S. Water Alliance is a member-supported nonprofit organization, and our primary goals are to advance policies and programs that secure a sustainable water future for all. So our reach is, as you can see by our name, on a national scale, but we do have an international reach and we have overseas influence and partners too. And that's happened in the past few years, which has been pretty amazing. And we also have staff members all across the country. I think we have at least a few people in every time zone in the continental U.S. So we basically convene all of the diverse interests in the water sector. And this is from public utilities, so like your local water and wastewater providers, to community and environmental organizations, so other nonprofits like us, but operating on a much more local scale, to big water technology engineering companies and firms, Sometimes it have an international reach. Also, we have some labor unions and research institutions that we work with. So we really, we create spaces and platforms for these folks to work together. And these spaces are ones they likely would not otherwise have. And one of the things we really try to unite people under is this concept of one water. This is an approach that views the management of all water. So whether you're getting it from your tap or a body of water, like a lake or a stream or water from a storm or from a wastewater system to be integrated and inclusive and holistic. And so we want water to be managed and valued no matter where it is in its cycle in this way, which we believe makes for better water management policies and practices. And then by being a member of the Alliance, you have the opportunity to engage with these specific programs that our staff run. So the majority of our staff are part of these programs and they're centered around different big water issues. And so some of the current ones we're working on are climate change mitigation in the water sector, advancing equitable water management practices, advocating for federal investment in water infrastructure. So if you're familiar with the bipartisan infrastructure law, deviating from that, also ensuring that the communities that need this funding the most can actually access these funds so that money is going to the right places. 
building the water workforce and strengthening leadership capacity in younger water leaders, and then also incorporating arts and culture into water management practices. It's a pretty niche space in a lot of ways, but we just work with such a wide variety of partners and it's been pretty powerful to me to see the scale that we can operate on. Like we can operate on this federal level and be helping some of our partners help pass the bipartisan infrastructure law, or at least get that to the federal government. And then we're also working on the hyperlocal scale with communities on the ground and just actually helping foster these conversations between utility executives and community leaders that are the voice for their neighborhoods, essentially. So you're building a community within the community and trying to leverage these disparate voices. People that maybe aren't as familiar with the water space, it's in a lot of people are more familiar with power that probably listen to this mm -hmm. podcast. The water utility space is much more fragmented than the power utility space, where there's a fraction of the amount of power utilities so they can leverage their voices better. Water utilities, they're all over the place, all different sizes. And so to have an organization like yours come and get everyone together and surface down, I feel it's very important. Yeah, yeah, that's that was something I learned pretty early on coming into this work and was pretty wild to see how especially a lot of what we do is centered around federal funding for water infrastructure and seeing like for the energy and power sectors, for example, there's been way more funding dedicated to those. And also the system is a bit more integrated and yeah, we've been really expanding our work to work with more rural partners, too, and seeing how we can help these rural communities keep their systems running and also help people access water in the first place. We still have millions of Americans who don't have water access. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, pretty staggering. Is that clean water access? It's clean water access and sanitation services. Yeah, a lot of parts of the country... That's still such a high number. <laughs> yeah, no, we actually led some of that research to find, and it's largely concentrated in the Central California Valley, the Navajo Nation, in parts of the Black Belt in the American South, and then Appalachia, and Puerto Rico is also a big place too. So really all over the place. Oh, and also in Texas, in these colonias, which are almost like little kind of settlements outside of places like El Paso, just like these informal communities that have sprung up. I've never been to that rural area. I've been to some rural places in New Mexico. I've driven through the Navajo Nation. And so I can quickly imagine that water scarce there when you drive through it forever. And there's signs like you need to make sure you're fueled up, make sure you have supplies because you're not going to see anything for a hundred miles. I'm interested in how many of your users and what your view is on industrial water users. You had mentioned all different types of industry. It's obvious to me with the water utilities, what I'm seeing more of is industrial partners being interested in how they use water and how they put water back into the water system. Are you seeing that reflective in your membership and the conversations you're having? In terms of industrial water users, are you thinking like larger scale companies? Yeah, like a manufacturer or someone that maybe wouldn't be thought of as a traditional water user because they're not a water utility, but at a smelter, for example, they use a ton of waters or at, at a chip processing plant or something like that. Yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up. We don't currently have companies like that we're bringing into our membership network, but we do have folks just in our broader network that I feel like are parts of these conversations. But that's definitely an area that we could reach a bit more because, as you said, everyone's using water. It touches 
everyone's life in some way, and especially these companies that make a big environmental impact in a lot of ways then too. I've been in the power industry now for almost, I think, 15 years. But I can remember a time when water at a a power plant was the last thing that people really thought about. They were worried about discharge stuff, whatever goes into the waterway, but still not a lot of thought into it. And I've seen that shift through my career and see people a lot more concerned about what are we doing to the water and then how does that affect the community and all kinds of regulations that came through. But also I've seen a shift just in people's attitudes where it's not as dismissive of what's going on. It's, hey, we, we want to be good stewards of the water community. I'm interested if you're seeing some of those same behavior changes and same attitudes. So part of the one water approach is thinking about upstream, just the fact that like people upstream play a role in this work too. And so I think people are acknowledging that this is the reality and that efforts need to be made across where water comes from. And it can't just be left to the people who are the recipients of this poorly treated water. So I think within we're continuing to advocate, I think, a lot in our work. And it's been a lot of that kind of boils down, I feel like, to the federal level, too. Like we have a couple of really landmark laws that were passed, like the Clean Water Act, Safe Drinking Water Act, that set these baseline standards because before that there really wasn't anything. So having that passed and continuing to uphold and measure that and just the expansion of EPA and the Office of Water doing that great work, I think is really vital, but it'll definitely take more, I think, federal attention and just accountability to everyone involved for us to keep seeing positive change there because we're continuing to rapidly urbanize, just cities are growing and it's very, it's difficult. There's a lot of money involved too. Yeah. The fragmentation of the market. So like when I think of PFOS, for example, some of the solutions that are out there are going to be difficult for a small community to implement if they're going to have to think bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah. We are yeah. definitely <laughs> trying to grapple with PFAS right now as an organization and see how to approach that because it's clearly a lot broader than any of us are really realizing and it's affecting us a lot more deeply. You're wondering what the heck we're talking about. Google search PFAs in Maine and you'll get as much information as you probably want. Mm-hmm. We can talk about the water situation in this country forever because we're passionate about it. I can see we have a lot of different subjects to talk about, but I'd like to get into some of the communication and some of the social media, how you leverage that to get this important message out. I love something you said earlier, two things you said earlier. I love what you said about where you feel like you're reading about your favorite subject. I'd love to hear you talk more about that. And then I'm also... I'm impressed with what you said about where you're leveraging content. Those weren't your exact words, but where you see an opportunity and how can we communicate this in different ways to be applicable to a wider audience and how do we create good content out of these moments? I wrote thrifty marketer on the side of that note because I run into marketers that they don't think that. And so content creation is always a problem because they aren't thinking of how do we get this uniquely? It sounds like you started from that position. So why don't you tell me what it means to you to be reading your favorite subject and you feeling, hey, I'm really involved in this. And how do you try and replicate that and some of the things that you produce for U.S. Water Alliance? Yeah, yeah. I think really I came into this organization seeing that we already had a really strong communications foundation, which is really important to me. I wanted to be joining a team that we weren't starting from scratch or having to work backwards to address what had been done in the past. So for me, I guess I, because I'm so interested and it sounds like you are too, just in 
different nuances in the water world. And I studied environmental studies when I was in school. So a lot of the reports that I was reading were centered around like rising sea levels, essentially, and how that's impacting communities and what can be done. And also seeing, reading about that water access gap and understanding why those communities face those issues. And then also in every single report too. So we frame the problem, we talk about the history behind it, and then we show what's being done to address this. And so all of the great work that people in this sector are leading and whether that's water utilities, community organizations, almost always a collaboration between the two and other drivers in the conversations to just make meaningful change and then seeing how that can be applied elsewhere. So it doesn't just have to be this small partnership between a water utility and a community organization in Central California. And it doesn't even just have to apply to a similar climate or something. There are solutions that can be adapted and embraced everywhere. And we do have the capacity to do something like that. So in terms of what I'm doing through our communications efforts on a daily basis, I guess on a, the most visible level, it's just how I think it's the most public facing way that we just share what our organization is doing and what our network is doing. So throughout the year, as I said, we publish reports and we'll publish polls, toolkits, different resources. And we also will hold events and institutes. And then on top of that, we really like to celebrate the wins of our network and forwarding sustainable and equitable water management practices. Also, I think our social media channels act as resource hubs for a lot of different people. And I actually just went through Twitter and was looking at all the lists that U.S. Water Alliance is part of, which was pretty cool. It was all used. Most of them had water in the name somewhere, but just we were associated with a lot of other organizations that did similar work, but we definitely still hold our own in this space. And I'm happy that so many people look to us as a leader in that way. We also see that the majority of our network is on social media, too. And what I'm doing a lot on a daily basis and always thinking about trying to do is thinking about how we can provide member value and elevate their content because it helps forward our mission, but then it also helps forward their mission and can showcase their work. So a lot of this we do through LinkedIn, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it these days. Instagram, we just made a threads account. Sometimes we'll use YouTube and we don't. I guess we don't commit ourselves to being just a general broadcaster of water-related news, and we don't have the capacity to do anything like that either. And there are other great sources that already do things like that. But we do try to share articles that we find that we think might be helpful for folks in our network. So I guess kind of surface level, that's where our social media and communications are laying. And then a little bit below the surface. So I've talked a little bit about this one water concept. So we have this phrase, one water, one future that we like to spread around. And to me, that emphasizes that we really strive to create these non-divisive and collaborative spaces. We as an organization really understand the importance of building trust and meaningful relationships across the water sector and between groups that wouldn't connect otherwise, as I've talked about before, and rooting all of this in a really equitable approach too. So water equity was not really a phrase that was, and probably for many listening to this, was not a known phrase until I just said it, but in the water sector, it was not even a known phrase until pretty recently. And so we've been pioneering that along with a lot of 
really forward-thinking utilities and community organizations and have just been laying that as the foundation for a lot of the work that we do. And we really, yeah, we're talking to so many different types of people, even though we're in this very niche space, we still have a really diverse audience. And we really want people to feel like they can join the conversation. So we want One Water, which then translate into our communications efforts to feel inclusive and supportive and just have positive and dynamic channels that invite lots of different forms of engagement. What I took away from that is how much thought you put into the strategy and the tactics that you're deploying right now. People that don't have as much marketing experience, I think they don't understand how it comes together. And you touched on a small percentage of the things you're doing and a small percentage of the thoughts that go through your head when you're doing this. But it was educational for the people that are listening for myself to hear. There's a lot of thought that goes into, and I like how you tied it back to your reading your favorite subject. What I heard was you're trying to create content that helps people, informs people, brings people together. And you didn't say like when you were first talking about, you're talking about for everyone, I wasn't quite tracking. And then it made a lot more sense where you're not saying you're not writing from a technical standpoint. You just want to make it available for everyone. And so that curious mindset you have, I can hear play out in your strategy. And I can see how if I was asked that information, U.S. Water Alliance is one of the first places I check or if I was dialed in the industry more, because I know that to your point, this isn't going to be just general water news. There's going to be some thought put into it. And there's going to be some thought put into the people that consume it and how they can use it. So that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it really, I think a lot of it comes from the foundations of our team too. So people come from such a variety of backgrounds. I have more of a liberal artsy type background, as do some other folks, but we have some more science-minded people on our team. We have a few urban planners and designers on our team and really just a lot. And people went to, people are all over the country. People went to schools all over the country. We have a big, pretty big age range in our staff as well. So I think that really just goes to benefit all of the programmatic work that we do. And then these programs are what drive the reports that I end up working on to help publish. And because of all those different backgrounds, and I definitely I'll read different writing styles from different team members, but we've done a really good job of curating, I think, just like a universal U.S. Water Alliance language and tone that we try really hard to convey across everything we do, which, as I said, similarly to just what I try to do on our channels, just making it very inclusive and comprehensible. There's no reason to muddle things or overcomplicate them when, even though not everyone needs to understand exactly what we're doing all the time, everyone should be able to see the importance of this kind of work. Not everyone doesn't need to see what we're doing all the time, but they need to understand the importance of it. That was good. Thank you. So we'll wrap up. Next couple of questions. One, I want to give you time to answer this question and you can take as long as you want to answer it. So my whole perspective on people's consumption, media consumption behaviors generally, and then also around, for lack of a better term, called the industrial space, engineering, construction spaces, people have changed the way that they consume information, but the companies that serve them have been slower to change the way that they distribute information. And I, you can tell me if you disagree with that, but you said earlier, people on social media. So my perspective is most people are on social media. Most people use the internet to discover, to research, to do the things that they used to have to talk to a salesperson or talk to, read a book, do something different. First of all, do you agree with that? Second of all, how have those shifts changed the way that you are communicating with your members at the U.S. Water Alliance? I definitely do agree with that. And 
this is an interesting question to pose because my first thought is that it definitely people's media habit changes have definitely impacted the way that we approach our digital communication strategy. And even just starting off by saying digital, that implies that digital is just it's my assumption of what we're talking about, but that was not always the case. And so like we have this event that we throw probably every year, every 18 months or so, that's our big signature event, the One Water Summit. And in the past, we would really entice people to come by having all this swag that we would give out. And so we would print out a lot of our old reports, but then we would also have tote bags and water bottles and even just print programs, things like that. So people could really take that away. And that was a way that we could raise brand awareness. But we also realized we didn't hold any of these summits during COVID, of course. So we had a little hiatus for a few years. But when we came back, we were really thinking more consciously about that and thinking, okay, we operate in the environmental space pretty heavily. And it didn't really make sense for us to be producing all of these goods, even if it would help elevate our brand. So not only did it save us money, but it also saved us a lot of resources and waste. And we found also just the enthusiasm for our One Water Summit that we held last fall in Milwaukee. People were so happy at the end. We just got amazing feedback. I was even on a plane sitting across the aisle from these three folks that were all at the summit. And they I think we were all flying through Texas. And so they were all from different cities in Texas, but didn't know each other. And they were just talking animatedly the entire flight about it, which was great. The rest of the plane was just silent. I'm sitting there across the aisle, just very happy and not saying anything. But <laughs> marketers great right there. Dream feedback scenario. My goodness. Oh, it was great. And I was literally drafting up our recap email blast as I was sitting in my seat, too, and thinking like, all right, I wonder if they'll read this while they're on the plane. I didn't hear anything about that. But just seeing all that great feedback really meant to, they didn't need to take home a U.S. Water Alliance lanyard or something to be happy. And it just makes way more sense to lean into the digital side of things these days. And also, yeah, we have a really diverse audience and also definitely diverse in age. And so we have to figure out, we're speaking to these Gen Z environmental justice advocates and TikTok influencers, but then we're also speaking to boomer utility executives. And so there's always some kind of new platform that's out there that we can be using, but we like to hone into the fact that we have this great foundation of this wide variety of folks and we have these great relationships with, so we can always lean back into that and test out different platforms to see what's working best for our messaging. And something that's interesting, and this is very niche, but we have this term that we use in the water sector a bit, and it's called the silver tsunami. So this is referring to this big wave of retirements that we're expecting to see in the near future. And that also means that wave of retirements means we're going to get a wave of a much younger audience joining our network. And for us, this is the foundations of a lot of our water workforce development programs, just showing how we need to be thoughtful about how we're bringing people into the workforce and really intentional, showing that it's a strong and good sector to work in. But then also thinking about, okay, like we used to have a Facebook page that we used for one of our programs. And I pretty much stopped using that entirely, except for kind of administrative purposes. And that for a lot of the older crowds is the primary way of communicating with one another. But it just isn't the best way to reach many of our audiences anymore. Also, folks that aren't quite as engaged and I think some of this is an assumption, but I feel like newer social media platforms are less text heavy in a lot of ways, a lot more focused on imagery 
and thinking about, okay, we still do publish these 40-page reports and they're all text. And how do we get the younger audiences to engage with these kinds of materials? And what about people who are maybe viewing things on mobile rather than computers? We just, we need to be ready to meet people where they're at. And I think I'm still always trying to strike that balance. I haven't, I'm saying these questions because they're things that I'm thinking about every day and trying to work through, but definitely always room for improvement and things are ever changing too. Fascinating you say that because I've, Think a lot about some of the same challenges, and I think you hit the nail on the head with its text-based content. I feel like it's not easy to produce, but it's simpler to produce. Like the process is more straightforward than when you get into short-form video content. And then to your point, on whatever if you're whether you're on YouTube Reels or Instagram or TikTok, if your video isn't edited in a certain way, it's not going to perform that well. Even though it might be high quality, like the information might be good. But depending on how the video looks and performs and let all that stuff plays into how that's consumed. And I actually have a friend that hosts a material science engineer podcast. So he helps material science engineers identify what careers are next out of school. And him and his partner started doing these little things on LinkedIn where they cover a subject in 30 seconds. And Ooh. I've never heard someone speak that fast. I said, Puneet, is that sped up? Or is, he goes, no, he really is speaking that fast. I was like, no way. And they do these little short videos. And wow, that's awesome. What do you think of trying to do that from a brand standpoint with everything else that you have to do to maintain? It's, it becomes a lot. It's tough to think about. It's, oh. it's all that. Let me know. We No, we got to hire them. I feel like as an organization, we're always trying to improve our elevator pitches and just we've spent so much time trying to rework also thinking about what our mission is and our values. And it really, everyone just has it keep going on and on. And we, what we really need is for me to be able to tell someone in 10 seconds what it is that we do. But it's tricky. Maybe it can't be done, but let me know about these fellows. Like we at least have to generate interest in 10 seconds, which those of you that have been on blind dates or gone to an interview, that's hard to do. Annie, this has been awesome. I feel like our audience learned a lot about the water space and also about the way brilliant minds think about communications and marketing. So appreciate you getting in the details and sharing so much with us. Why don't you close us with what has you optimistic today? Yeah, yeah. I think just working in this really niche space, we still just want people to know us and keep engaging with us. And we've really seen that. Like people want to participate in conversations. We have higher than industry average engagement rates on pretty much all of our social media platforms. And seeing other people excited about this work keeps me optimistic. We also, I didn't touch on this too much, but we have this great brand that we're rooted in. And that's this visual brand that's been around for a while. But also what I think is a really important part of that brand is the community that we work with. Like we are an organization that is defined by our community in so many ways. And so being able to see those community members join the conversation and feel welcomed into it and also help guide our work. That's a lot of what our members do too. They help define what those next water topics we're going to be discussing are. And that is just, I think it's very heartwarming for me. Also just in general, seeing the inclusivity that online platforms are more frequently striving to achieve is great. Like Twitter, who knows what they're doing? It's been pretty difficult to predict, but we have, I think I saw recently, almost 5 billion of the 8 billion people in the world are on social media. And 
Obviously, we are not going to be reaching all of those people with our messaging, but it does mean that all those people are going to be finding their space somewhere. And just knowing that we can foster that and we're actively seeing that that fostering has worked makes me optimistic. And then I guess this is a little bit more industry specific and granular, but it's also a little bit more broad in other ways too. I'm just excited about my increased opportunities as a communicator in the water sector with the passage of the bipartisan infrastructure law. Don't know how familiar you or listeners are with it, but over 50 billion was allocated for water infrastructure in that. And this was just such a massive and historic change and definitely impacted our messaging, I think, for the better overall, of course. Like we got a lot of what we've been pushing and asking for years. And in the last year or so, I've just been finding more opportunities to share out the ways that our network is leveraging this funding to better water infrastructure in their communities. And this funding has a five-year timeline. So I'm hoping that I'm just going to keep seeing more and more of these opportunities popping up in the next few years. And also just I love leaning into the celebrate aspect of the pillars of our work. I've talked about that a little bit before. And I think that has kept me going, kept me motivated and just keeps, I think, keeps all of us optimistic. Like we we have millions who don't have water access, but work is being done to change that. And I'm doing the best that I can to spread the word that we're, there are people all across the spaces that are doing this great work. I like all those reasons and agree with them. So if you want to see some of Anna's great work, follow U.S. Water Lives on social media. We'll link to all of it in our show notes, but go check it out. Go check out what a great marketer does. And if you want to learn more about the water space, follow U.S. Water Lines. Till next episode. Thank you, everybody.